Hello and welcome to The Age Stage, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians made possible by Aftercare Australasia and our other partnership partners, Australian Unity. I'm Brendan Telfer. Welcome, everyone. This week on The Age Stage, we catch up on the latest from the Aged Care Royal Commission. And now it's the turn of the home service providers with revelations of kickbacks, poorly trained staff, inferior services and profit. We'll get the very latest from Warren Haynes of Aftercare Australasia, our Aged Care Royal Commission reporter. That's a little bit later on in the program. Also this week, in this week of World Oral Health Day, new research which links gum health and tooth decay to Alzheimer's. In fact, one of the enzymes found in tooth decay and gum infection has been found in the brains of 51 of 53 Alzheimer's patients. More of that a little bit later on. Well, Client Services Manager Craig Green is back in from Australian Unity to talk to us. It's got, um, well, Craig has got a very busy time ahead. Craig, good to catch up. Good morning. Great to be back. Super days ahead for you guys. Actually, Australian Unity, Craig, going gangbusters. You've got your beautiful new apartments. You've got a big open day on the 30th. It's all happening. It is all happening. As I left to come in today, there was a, a cast of thousands out there making it all happen for us. Wow. Um, it's starting to come off really nice. The uh, Still a little few end you know tidbits to, to take care of, but the finished product's looking very polished. Uh, a man of style like you, Craig, I'm sure that if it's meeting your very high standards, it must be looking absolutely spectacular. Well, it's meeting the standards of not just me, but also the, the general public and the uh, the potential purchasers that are, are already starting to come through and inspect are, are loving what they see. And that's the important thing, isn't it? I mean, it's basically the pitch that Australian Unity is making to that end, to that echelon of the market. It is. It, it's addressing not just needs of today, but the needs of tomorrow as well, um, especially as we, we are ageing in our community um, around the peninsula and the broader Victorian community. So the services then, so these wonderful apartments are coming on board. How many of them will be coming on? Uh, so we have 22 new apartments. Added, um, added to a complex that is standing at what? So 226. Wow, so you're up around the 240, Mike, We are, so we're going to be nudging the just over 400 people within the independent living community that we have at the Peninsula Grange Village. Independent living, of course, in the sense that you can come and go, as you've explained in the past of these apartments, you can basically set your own life agenda in and around these wonderful facilities. But also, of course, there's a pathway there for you as well as you get a little bit older, maybe a little more infirm. There is. We, we have on site the existing Peninsula Grange residential aged care facility. Uh, but in addition to that, and probably the most exciting part for us at the moment, is we're about to open at the end of April our brand new facility, which will be five stars in, in all levels. It's uh, the Racecourse Grange uh, aged care facility and directly across the road from our, our retirement village, uh, just cl- close to the Bungawa roundabout end of Racecourse Road. Uh, that's going to have 127 beds. Uh, and when we say beds, that's a room. Uh, they're, they're quite generous, your own private bathroom. One of the big selling points is the fact that they not only have a door into the building, they have their own uh, patio and door to the outside so that they can enjoy their own private space or flow onto the broader community gardens that are there. We have across those 127 beds uh, built into a number of houses internally and they're surrounded around seven internal courtyards as well. So basically these are the for the slightly more infirm uh, residents? It's for residents that just require that extra level of assistance. Um, it may be, um, for example, that you need d- different services around health or wellbeing or that extra level of support. Uh, for those that are finding living independently becomes a little bit challenging at a point in time. 
time. Um, if you consider our existing Peninsula Grange uh, residential aged care facility, we have a memory support unit which is catering for those that are living with dementia. Again, looking at those services that the community require as we start to age. Fantastic uh, advances there as well. What type of services and what sort of services can you build in and around these wonderful facilities? In addition to what we offer from a, a residential living component, um, we have going on site at Racecourse Grange a freestanding independent wellness centre. Now that'll be managed and operated by Remedy Healthcare. It is a public access facility and it's directly opposite Racecourse but on the same location. Now we're going to have a range of services that Remedy offer. Um, we have um, podiatrists, it might be um, the hydrotherapy pool that we have going in, uh, but at our open day on the 30th of, of March at Peninsula Grange, range, we, we will have Remedy offering a concierge service, which will have generic information around the services that they can offer for those that choose to, to utilise the services available. So if we're curious, if we're anxious to find out what is going on down this way, it's the 30th, uh, that we should get along and make an appointment or just... No, just come through. We're, we're set up to come through on the 30th. It's between 11am and 2pm. Now, we're not just opening our new apartments. We're going to have our community centre open. We're going to have the kiosk open if you want some morning tea. Um, the, you can tour the grounds. You can have a look through the indoor heated pool. Check out the gymnasium in use. Uh, Remedy will have their concierge service on display with services available. Uh, I, I believe on the day we even have our, our internal mahjong group. They, they love to do champagne mimosa Saturdays. Uh, so they'll also be participating on the day. It sounds fantastic. So it sounds like to me then uh, you're probably going to get an endorsement. Not only will these beautiful apartments be sort of speaking to us in terms of just how they look and how they've turned out, but it sounds like uh, we're going to be hearing from maybe some of the residents as well that are probably going to be the big endorsement as well by the sounds. And that's every day at our village, is we're showcasing our village, not just on one day, but every day. And what we're going to be highlighting is that you're not just buying into a village for your own individual lifestyle, you're buying into a community. And it's a really close-knit community that you can be as integrated into as you choose, and it's very vibrant. And we've spoken about that in the past. So let me move you on to a slightly more serious topic, and that is this uh, Royal Commission, which is looking into this whole area at the moment as well. Given the standards that you guys are aspiring to and delivering, you probably would have no fears of what the Royal Commission is uncovering because you would probably be thinking, well, that's everybody else but us. Well, I don't think I'd use the word fears because I think the, the positive side of a Royal Commission is we start to highlight best practice. And definitely Australian Unity are very proud of the practices that we have. We already have our own Better Together program, which addresses those moving into residential aged care facilities around how we approach with that resident to come up with a plan together, how we work with the families and, and the resident moving in to ensure that they're getting the retirement and, and aged care lifestyle that they're looking for. So we already believe we're doing quite well, but Royal Commissions are great for setting a benchmark and to make sure that we keep ahead of it at all times. So you obviously do. What about internal monitoring of these processes and the level of care that you give and ongoing support for your staff? Is there something in-house that is happening? Uh, there's something happening in-house every day at work. It's a, it's a busy little environment because if you look at the, the aged care facilities, they're 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, we don't stop. There's always ongoing training. One of the key selling points um, for our staff when they join Australian Unity here on the peninsula specifically is every one of our staff, whether it's the independent living or the residential aged care, 
undergo dementia essentials with Dementia Australia. Now that's an, that's a three day very intense course spread out over three weeks. But what it does is it gives our staff that edge, gives us an understanding of people living with dementia and how we can support them in the community and in their daily living. And you learn a lot. I learned a lot when I did it last year. It was very interesting. Uh, but it's the extra level of care we now take note of in our, in our communities around how we can support those residents in particular. As a resident then, what can I expect in terms of ongoing continuity as far as staff is, is concerned? Am I feeling isolated from the Australian Unity experience or are you endeavouring to involve me and become part of a, a, a larger extended family, if you will? The latter. We're, we are very involved. It's a very social atmosphere. Um, Australian Unity, especially here on the peninsula at the Peninsula Grange and Racecourse Grange sites to open, we have that family mentality. Um, we have a high staff um, contingency of, of make sure that we onboard and train our staff to retain them. So our retention levels are quite good. Bear in mind we operate on a 99.8% occupancy. That's a pretty good record for whether it's independent or, or residential aged care. And because we're always so busy, we always have a need for staff. So we're retaining our existing and onboarding new staff as we go. Even as we plan for Racecourse Grange to open at the end of April, for the last three months, we've already had most of those staff on board and working in our existing facility before we move into the new one. So that we have all those systems already in place and we have those teams of people trained up, ready to hit the ground running, rather than wait until, until we need them on hand. You are Client Services Manager. What responsibilities do these new facilities present for you, Craig? My core focus for my day-to-day -day is focusing on the independent living component uh, and we have teams that look after the residential aged care, but we work hand-in-hand. -hand. Uh, for example, we have a play on words. We, we have our Better Together program for the residential aged care, uh, but we have our Better Together um, program also working with our independent community. And that's around the transition from going from independent to assisted living. So we work in doing those courtesy calls and identifying residents that may be in need, identifying residents that are perhaps needing a little bit more help than they used to, and making sure we can provide the information for them around what services are on offer. This is a highly critical and very sensitive stage in a person's life um, to be equipped with those facilities to be able to have that conversation with somebody and recommending that their whole way of living is changing uh, would be very examining on you and your staff. It, it is but we're, we're equipped to deal with it but I think the, the the take-home for us and the bit that I get to take home every day from my personal job is that we're there ensuring that they get to live the retirement and the assisted living time that they deserve and that they demand. We're there to work with them and make sure the information's available. They still make the decisions, but we can at least provide the information around the support services there. It's very rewarding going home knowing that you've helped someone make a very big life decision and being able to retain them in your own community, even if you're moving from the independent village through to the assisted living, you're still within the same community. You can still come and enjoy the same friends and the same social circles that you've had in your retirement years, but it means you get to stay in, in that community. So often when people move to retirement, they're moving from one destination to another. We have a lot of people that move from Melbourne CBD or in a, in a suburb uh, to come down to the peninsula. Um, likewise here, if you're moving from an independent village into assisted living, Often is the case you have to change locations. The beauty of our facility out on Racecourse Road is you can stay within that community. 
Um, Craig Green is our guest on the Age Date today from Australian um, uh, Australian Unity. He is the client services manager. Um, Craig, it sounds like the level of dedication and commitment that you and the staff make. How do you uh, put a line through your eight hours a day or whatever it is that you, you, you act as the client services manager? It must be very difficult for you to make a bit of a distinction between your life inside and outside what Australian Unity is doing down here. Eight hours. I don't recall ever saying eight hours. <laughs> well, I'm just throwing it out there, Craig. <laughs> uh, look, it, 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 it's a community. Um, I guess the staff enjoy being part of that community. Um, and whilst we all have testing moments, I guess my personal journey was that I've, I've got a strong background in hospitality management. And coming to a community like this is, is very similar to that. I grew up in a very small country town in Western Australia. Mm-hmm. Part of my drive was to get back into a role that not only was rewarding for me, but rewarding for the people I worked with, and in this case, live with in the sense of working with our community. So being part of something, seeing positive change, that's the bit that I personally enjoy. And that's definitely the feedback we get from the residents at the moment, is they feel like one big family. They get to see us daily, and we get to see them, and the interactions are very high. Do you have any specific stories about that endorsement of what you might be doing personally or what you, Australian Unity, are doing, just to put you on the spot? Yeah, look, I'll always have a couple of things that I'll mention, but um, there's one thing that I introduced as the, the client service manager when I joined last year, and it's a personal touch, is every morning I check whose birthday it is, and I just spend five, ten minutes ringing those people for their birthdays. If I can't reach them, I'll leave a message or I'll drop them an email. They love that and I love doing it because it is being, you know, remember growing up as kids and your your auntie would ring you and wish you a happy birthday and as a kid you thought that was fantastic. Um, I think sometimes in life we forget about those little things and having that call to wish you a happy birthday and of course everyone's 21 again, um, it's a great feeling and the community like that and we like doing it. Um, I like to join the happy hour on a Friday night. We have a great facility there with our community bar overlooking the lake over to the bowling rinks and I head down and have a glass of red with them after work on a Friday. There's usually about 80 to 100 people in the bar. We have the, the, the various door prizes from the great donations we get locally. Um, and they do it again on a Sunday night as well. So just those little bits of information of coming in and living with your community, not just coming to work and going, that means a lot to the community, but it also means a lot for the staff that they're welcome to be involved and interact. Well, Fridays and Sundays are going to get even busier now that you're opening up these new facilities and you're taking your numbers up to around the four and a, four, four, 450 mark. Yeah, they are. Um, well, the 400-odds just in the independent living. Obviously, we have another 102 beds at Peninsula Grange that are full, and we have the 127 going in. The beauty is, though, that each facility operates individually. So whilst we are collectively three key assets there, as well as Morven Manor here in, in town, uh, we basically all operate as indefi- individual sites. Um, so it doesn't feel like you're part of a multi-site development because of the way it's being designed and the co-locations of, of the two independent areas. What about the medical side of things in terms of care and attention, nursing staff and so on? How do you call upon them and how do you distribute their services into what you're doing at Australian Unity? I guess it depends whether you're looking at the assisted to the independent because the independent, it is an independent village. We don't necessarily have the nursing staff, but we do have some fabulous doctors that will come in each each week and will attend from one of the local practices. So our residents don't have to go into town. They can pop into the office to see the doctor at the community centre. From an assisted living, a lot of visiting 
practice, uh, consultants and practices come through. Now, you, you can have your own doctor come through. Um, we have um, obviously a range of medical services on offer and we have the additional services like Remedy Healthcare to come in as well. Um, so depending on what you're after, most things can be accommodated, um, but we can always work with you if you have specific needs that need to be brought in. But the key is that the staff training that goes on for our care assistants and, and the clinical care managers, there is always ongoing training and we try and pull as much as we can from local community and utilising local colleges and local training centres that can offer these these personnel to come through. Well, it's all happening at Australian Unity and the big open day coming up on the 30th. And uh, as you were saying, uh, Craig, it all gets underway at 11, goes through until 2pm and we can get a real taste for what you're doing down there, get to meet you and the rest of the crew, plus maybe a couple of the residents as well, hey? We look forward to seeing you there. So the gates are going to be open. We just sort of rock up and roll in. Rock up and roll in. There'll be directionals to the parking. And uh, as I said, 11 till 2. And you can tour the community centre as well as look at the display suites in the apartments. It sounds absolutely magnificent. Can't wait to get down there. It's been a fantastic addition to that part of Mornington. And the way you guys are basically taking control down there sounds fantastic. Craig, thank you very much indeed. Craig Green is the Client Services Manager from Australian Unity, working down here in Mornington and spends every other week with us here in the H-Stage. Thanks for your time, Craig. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Good on you, Craig. Craig Green of Australian Unity. And thanks, Craig. And we'll see you very, very soon. This is the H-Stage, broadcasting from the Bendigo Bank Studios right here in Wilson's Road in Mornington. When we come back, periodontist Fleur Creeper and this alarming new research which is seeing a significant link between gum disease and Alzheimer's. Stick around. This is The Age Stage on RPPFM, coming to you live from the Bendigo Bank Studio, made possible by our friends at Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia as well. Well, this week, March 20th, it was World Oral Health Day. Timely, as new international research has shown a link between tooth decay, gum infections and Alzheimer's. And here in Australia, Australian dentists estimate that about 45% of us have some form of gum disease. So the implications are pretty serious. And this worrying new research has isolated a particular bacteria. Specifically, it's the P. gingivalis that is associated with tooth decay and also gum disease. And the same bacteria has now been linked to Alzheimer's. In fact, the bacteria was found in the brains of 51 of 53 Alzheimer's patients. And now, according to the research, once into the body, the bacteria releases an enzyme that destroys neurons and leads, they think, to memory loss. Well, to find out more, I've invited periodontist Fleur Creeper to join us. Fleur practices in rooms out of Perth in Western Australia. Fleur, welcome to the age stage. These are worrying findings. Yeah, there's been quite a few papers out recently. Um, we've gone in science advances in earlier this year and a couple few years ago. There's definitely some association there. We're not quite sure of the relationship yet and obviously more work needs to be done, but there's, there's some association with that type of bacteria. And it's commonly found in um, periodontitis, so it, it's a commonly occurring bacteria. Some people have it and don't have gum disease, but a, a lot of the advanced cases of gum disease, that, that specific bacteria is found. If we get along to our periodontist and we say, please work on my, my gum problems, um, we are going to be able to expel this P. gingivalis uh, bacterium from our mouth and from our system? Um, in some cases, yes, but in some cases, no. But the aim of treatment is not actually to get rid of the bacteria. So some people naturally have that bacteria and you know it can exist in a state of health. So it's more about reducing the whole bacterial load. So we talk about the biofilm, so reducing the biofilm, which is basically like a G 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because gum disease seems to be an indicator in a number of other problems as well for us. I mean, our general health, um, other complications, heart disease, diabetes, strokes. I mean, diabetes, diabetes is a big one, yeah. So, there's relationship forwards and backwards between gum disease and diabetes. So people with diabetes are more prone to having gum problems, but the gum problems can make diabetes worse. So there's a relationship both ways there. And also, interestingly, heart disease as well. Yeah, there's definitely some question marks there, and there's, you know, with time, more and more evidence is coming out. There's association, cause and effect is not necessarily known just yet, but there's definitely an association. So definitely having that bacterial load sitting in close proximity to the, the tissues. So we've got to remember that a lot of the bacteria aren't actually in the tissues, but they're sitting on the tooth right next to the gum, which is a very, very vascular structure. It causes inflammation, and we know that inflammation is a big, big problem for the body in general, and that's where the relationship probably comes from between so the bottom line here is do something about it. Get along to your to your dentist or your periodontist and get rid of the gum disease. How do I do that? Is yeah, it so a, is it a problem? Take take charge yourself. So you can do half of the work at home. So brushing, correct brushing around near the gum line, soft but thoroughly twice a day. Um, cleaning between your teeth. So using either dental floss or interdental brushes. There's lots of different tools to help clean between the teeth. So that's just as important as brushing. So we're doing that once a day. Just right to the gums nice and thoroughly. And then, yeah, obviously, good healthy diet, that helps everything. Um, plenty of water. Uh, chewing saliva in between meals is another thing that you can do at home. Just if you're out and about, you know, at lunchtime, chewing saliva helps produce, helps, sorry, chewing gum helps produce more saliva. Um, but, yeah, also seeing your dentist regularly, that's, that's an important thing, so they can check, check your teeth and gums and then give you any specific advice that might help you at home cleaning your teeth. It sounds like it's some very good advice, Fleur. So basically, we get along and see our dentist, what, twice a year? Um, it just depends. It's an individual thing. So previously, you know, we used to say twice a year, but now it's more of an individual. Some people need to come a little bit more often, some people less often. So but at least once a year, I would say, once a year for a checkup, just to see your dentist, to see if there's any problems. They can determine if you need to come more regularly or less regularly. Yeah, so it's more of an individual thing, but regularly. So alarmingly, of course, if the British figures are anything to go by, 45% of the Brits are now suffering from some form of gum disease. Are those numbers similar here in Australia? Very, yeah, very similar, yeah. So most people have the first stage of gingivitis. Um, the gingivitis is the first stage of gum disease, so where the inflammation is just in the top part of the gum. With that, it's completely reversible, so good cleaning, flossing, seeing the dentist will reverse that and go back to health. But then from gingivitis, if that stays there, that then can progress on periodontitis, which is where you get actually loss of the ligament and the bone, so that sort of irreversible damage, and that's obviously more serious. As I go to the dentist and uh, the dentist pronounces that I have gum disease, am I going to have a slight panic attack and think that this is going to lead inevitably to dementia as well and Alzheimer's? No, not necessarily. Obviously, maintaining good oral health is important and important for your whole body. So I normally tell my patients that you know, your mouth is just part of your body. It's a piece of the puzzle. Everything needs to be healthy. So obviously keep your mouth healthy. You can keep your body healthy. Um, prevention is the key. So that's where, you know, maintaining your good um, hygiene habits at home, brushing twice a day, cleaning between, eating well, exercising, getting good sleep, and obviously seeing the dentist regularly and having you know, professional treatment. Prevention is the key, I think. 
Many thanks, Fleur Creeper, periodontist with a practice in North Perth. Thank you very much indeed, Fleur. And obviously some very good advice there for all of us. Dental health, obviously very, very important. This is the age stage on RPPFM. And next up, it's going to be Warren Haynes and the Age Care Royal Commission. We get the very latest from Warren. And this time, it's the home care services sector that's been under the spotlight. And some of the reading and revelations have not been too pleasant. Warren Haynes in just a moment as we travel south to Warren and join him at his Aftercare Australasia headquarters in Rosebud after the break. And you are tuned up to the age stage. Great to have your company, Brendan Telfer, in the hot seat with you again this week. And something of a little difference this week because we've decided to take the show on the road. We'll come down to Rosebud. We're deep inside the Aftercare Australia headquarters. We're at 1337 Point Nepean Road in Rosebud. And I'm delighted to say that rather than have Warren come up and join us in the Bendigo Bank studio, we are here in the Bastion. Hi, Warren. Oh, it's lovely to have you here, Brendan. It's a very nice uh, very nice uh, surprise for us. Beautiful. Okay, well, as we do, uh, when we do catch up with you, it's been a couple of weeks now, Warren, we need to sort of, you need to bring us up to speed on what's been happening in the Royal Commission. And I must say some of the headlines now, we've been looking at aged care, we've been looking at uh, nursing homes and that sector, but now it seems that the Royal Commission is beginning to have a look at... Um, well, what we're doing in terms of care in our own homes and, and some of the headlines coming out of it, not too good. Untrained, unfamiliar staff, high costs, poor transparency, confusion and the dream of ageing at home, a bit of a nightmare according to some of the headlines. And look, I'd, I'd, I have to admit that uh, even though obviously I'm a very strong supporter of uh, in-home services, um, there certainly is some truth to what's being presented to the Commission as far as I'm concerned. Um, there, whilst there are lots of people in the industry that are doing the right thing and are doing a good job, um, it simply has been a case that there hasn't been enough um, guidelines and structure from the government uh, that, that really uh, lay out a minimum sort of standard and minimum levels of costs, etc. Things are very much left up to individual providers to make up their own minds about how they meet these fairly broad guidelines about delivering services. So we're talking then about regulation and perhaps some responsibility then by government not laying it out. Yeah, and look, I think there's there's somewhat belatedly a bit of an acknowledgement from government that there that there are some gaps. So, for instance, um, there's a uh, quite significant discussion paper that's going around at the moment that's going to deliver some much clearer rules around. Um, the level of transparency that providers have to have uh, about how their costs are being charged to the, the uh, clients that they're supporting. And there's also going to be, I, I believe, there's going to be some, some minimum standards or some, some caps on how much of the package providers can actually take for themselves for, you know, things like um, administration costs, which... which Obviously, with that term, it's quite vague as to well, what's included in that. Um, but you've been on this in the past with us. Uh, it's a sort of case of buyer beware, and uh, you've always encouraged us to get into the small print and examine exactly what some of these services are, are, are and what they do mean. Um, so basically, they're picking up one of the themes that we've heard from you on this program many times before. Yeah, well, look, Brendan, you know, 
I suppose one of the things about the way Aftercare's approached this is, uh, although we are a for-profit company, uh, what that means is that we've often got a really good grasp on what our actual costs are, and we've been very clear about trying to structure our costs so that you know we're, we're, we're making money out of what we're doing, but we're ensuring that we're not gouging people and that we're offering good value for people, because there's an awful lot of um, government money tied up in all of this. But the other point that I guess you'd probably want to make is that you guys at Aftercare Australia have been around for a little while as well. There are some businesses that seem to be setting up in this sector that have arrived uh, quite recently, and it's probably difficult for people to get a bit of a handle on who they are, how they are, and how they're going to operate. Yeah, look, it's definitely something you want to ask questions about when you're considering which um, approved provider to use. So this was something that was highlighted specifically in the, the latest round of hearings um, to the Commission where, they, they, interestingly enough, they had a presentation from uh, one of the staff in Canberra who's responsible for assessing applications and she was saying that they're actually rejecting quite significant numbers of current applicants as just being completely unsuitable to provide um, personal care and, uh, you know, support in the home. Uh, but I'd have to say there's also a bit of a sense that um, other companies that are out there will often try and make out that they've been around for years and years and years. Um, and when you dig a little bit deeper and you say, well, you know, how long have you actually been providing the direct in-home support? So perhaps not just managing aged care or running a nursing home or running a retirement village, but actually delivering in-home support. And often what you'll find is the answer is, oh, well, we've really only been doing that for the last 12 months or the last two years. They might have been providing aged care in a nursing home for 20 years, but it's a completely different service with completely different cost structures and completely different expectations around what you're actually doing. In-home care then, I mean, you guys in this field go back some 20 years, two decades now, so I guess it's a business model that's proven. You're still in business and you're basically enjoying the rigour and the examination that probably the recommendations of the Royal Commission are going to bring down on you. Mm. Yeah, look, absolutely, Brendan. I guess that's one of the things that for us, um, we're really happy with all of this. You know, this, this sort of approach and these models are very consistent with the way that we've operated for the last 20 years. Um, we just simply wouldn't have survived financially if we weren't very, very focused on keeping our costs down, making sure that maximum value goes to our customers and making sure that we understand what our customers want and that that's what we're able to provide. So, you know, it really sharpens your focus when you operate in that space, whereas a lot of the companies that are coming into this space now, um, although they've previously offered very good services, they're, they're often not-for-profits who are struggling a little bit to have a grasp of what their actual costs are and they've often got very expensive infrastructure that they've built up over many years when there's been um, you know, quite substantial amounts of funding just sort of sloshing around for the organisation to use instead of being focused on individual clients the way that it is now. The other thing, I guess, as well, is that uh, having been around for 20 years, here we are deep down in, in Rosebud on the beautiful Nepean Highway, and I guess that basically emphasises the fact that you are a local business down here on the Mornington Peninsula pitching in to the local community. Uh, the reputation's going to get around pretty fast. This is a small world down here, and you're going to have to make sure uh, that your reputation is pretty good to continue. 
Yeah, look, I think that's one of the advantages that uh, smaller companies like ours do have, um, and it certainly serves our customers well because that everything you've said is com completely accurate. Um, you know, reputation is everything. We're not out to sort of um, conquer the state or conquer Melbourne, um, which is what a lot of other companies seem to be adopting as their strategy. They sort of want to get become enormous and. Um, in doing so, I think they really lose touch with, with where they've started and with the communities that they know well. So, for example, there's a, you know, one company I can think of that's in New South Wales and that has been in the uh, particular region in New South Wales for many years and has, an, in fact, an excellent reputation within that region. But they became a national company um, in the space of about 12 months, opened up offices left, right and centre. They would say that they provide services down here on the Mornington Peninsula, but their nearest office is um, the Melbourne CBD. And uh, if, you, if you're calling them for services, you may well, in fact, be speaking to someone who's in a call centre in Queensland that wouldn't have a clue where Rosebud was without looking it up on a map. Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australia. We're down here at uh, Aftercare Australia headquarters in Rosebud and the Pian Highway. Warren, just having a quick look then at basically the way that you run your business. I guess a lot of it's going to come down to your staff, your staffing levels and how you train and make sure that they, in the field, can advocate these principles, these ethics that you sort of hold dear to your heart. Yeah, look, absolutely. And, and Brendan, you know, in, in an earlier conversation we'd had, you, you mentioned how important relationships are and that's really what it's all about. This sort of work is incredibly personal. Um, there's, there's sort of no other business that really compares to it uh, that I'm aware of. So, um, for example, you know, people might say, oh, well, I've got a, a, a close, ongoing relationship with my doctor. You know, I've seen the same doctor for, for 10 years. And that may well be the case. But then you go, OK, but where do you see the doctor? Well, they don't come to you most of the time. You go to them, you see them in their office. You might only see them for half an hour and you might only see them for half an hour every month or every two months might be quite some time. Um, whereas if, if someone's providing you with personal care, you might have workers coming into your home for one or two or three hours a day, every day, for years and years and years. So we've got clients that we've been supporting for well over 10 years in their home. So it's a long-term, very intimate relationship. So the key part to that is who are the people that are actually coming into your home? Um, what we tend to do is put a lot of effort um, at the front end of the process. So we're very, very rigorous in how we screen applicants and we get them to jump through quite a few hoops. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a frustrating exercise sometimes. I think we, we worked out uh, on average for every sort of 10 applicants we might end up with one successful person that we employ. Um, and we're often sort of interviewing people and, and going, oh, gee, you know, look, there they were pretty good, but they're just not quite up to the standard we're looking for and that we know our clients are looking for. Um, so we put a lot of effort into that, and we find that that means that we've then got confidence in the people we're sending out to people's homes, and you can establish a trust with people, which is another key element. It is a key element, but also it gets me to thinking, now what about the relationship? You mentioned that you're providing services for over 10 years in some instances. What about the bond or the relationship that forms between your carers and that patient? And is there a line over which either of them can step, could step, might step, or that you guard against? Look, again, you're right. That, that, that is something that, that does create some tensions there. 
what we find is that um, clients often just will say, oh, look, I just want one person that I can get to know really well. And, uh, and, and you know, then, I, then I, they know what I need and I know what they're going to do and, and we're just very comfortable. And we, we certainly understand that. But we would always recommend to people that they have at least two workers if they've not got a, a very intensive sort of level of support. And the reason for that is that uh, it means that you don't get overly attached to one person or the other if the person that you prefer out of the two, because that's often the case, if something happens to them where they, you know, they move out of the area or they have a change in career, again, you're not left high and dry and sort of starting from scratch. The other thing that we do is we very much do insist that the communication needs to go via our office so that, so that we're in the loop as an organisation. And that's because um, it means that if, we, if, if, if the regular person calls in sick, we've got a good idea of what your support needs are and we can make sure that we're matching that to the right to the replacement person, that you know, they're going to be able to come in and we can give them a few pointers as to what they need to do when they get there so that it makes that whole process much more straightforward, much more reliable in the long run. You're tuned up to IWPFM on 98.7 and 98.3. We're in the midst of the age stage uh, this Thursday morning. Great to have your company, Brendan Telfer. I'm speaking here with Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australia, and we're done here at the Aftercare Australia headquarters in the PN Highway, Rosebud. So just having a look then, Warren, we started off talking about the Royal Commission, the fact that it's uncovering some issues in terms of care in our own homes. Despite these revelations, I would suggest to you that the government really does like the notion that we spend as much time as possible in our own homes if and when it comes to that level of care and retirement. So they're going to have to get things right going forward. Yeah, look, without a doubt, uh, in my mind, this is the area that's where, where the growth is going to continue to occur. Everybody that I go out and see, they, they're all really consistently saying, I want to stay at home for as long as possible. So, um, you know, it means that services that enable that are very highly regarded by uh, clients themselves, by people themselves living at home. But not only that, it's much more cost-effective for government to go down this path. It, it costs, you know, almost half the amount of money uh, for someone to be supported at home, even on a high level of support, uh, versus them going into a nursing home. They're, they're just really expensive and, and inefficient in that way. So what, what pathways then do you provide your clients um, in terms of that, that um, uh, more serious care later on in, in their journey down this path from, from home into some sort of care, in-home in care? Well, uh, look, look. I, th I think as much as possible, we just simply focus on trying to keep keep people at home for as for as long as they can. That's that's where we start from. So, even for people that initially only need a lower level of support, we would generally recommend to them that they don't, if possible, um, spend all of their available funds through a home care package. Uh, and the reason for that is one of the beauties of the current system is that people get to sort of bank those unspent funds. Those funds are kept in place just for their exclusive use. They cannot be used by anybody else. They can't be given back to government um, unless they no longer need the support. So, so that means they've got a little bit of a, you know, a cushion there for a rainy day or a, a bit of a you know, setback with their health, something unexpected. And then they can progressively move through from 
a level one package up to a level four package, which is a substantial amount of support. It's up to about 18 hours of support a week, or you know, close to two to three hours of support a day, which is very much similar to a nursing home level of support. Um, and if they've still got a little bit of a cushion there, then um, even when things deteriorate a bit further, which unfortunately, inevitably for most people, is what happens, um, they've got things. They've got the extra money there to sort of keep things going for as long as possible. So, so often, then when it might get to a point where they do need to look at a nursing home, um, they may not be all that happy about it, but they can see that they've. Um, it left no stone unturned, if you like, to stay living at home and, and often it ends up being a relatively short amount of time that they then are in a nursing home when they genuinely need that level of, of more close support. Well, of course, Aotearoa Australia do specialise in home care. Um, I'm just wondering then, what about the process of, of, of applying for your services? How do I go about it? I've retired, what, I'm, I'm not feeling very well, I call you up. What is the process whereby you can come and give me a package? So these days it's all done through my aged care. We, we'd love to be in a position where we could give packages, but quite sensibly this is sort of managed centrally by, by the government themselves. Um, doctors and uh, other people in the community will be able to, we can do the same, we can refer you to My Age Care and they'll then get someone to come out and do an assessment and they'll assess not only are you eligible but what level of support you need to stay living at home and that's really where it goes from. So given then this um, level of criticism at the moment that we're seeing in the Royal Commission as far as this sector is concerned and the fact that the whole system is being arbitrated by the government. Are you surprised that people are a little bit vague on regulation, what is expected and how it's managed and how it's run and how it's got to this in terms of some of the criticism that we're seeing at the Royal Commission at the moment? Look, uh, you know, this is obviously this is just my personal opinion, but, but in my view what I think's happened is they've put far too much trust solely in market forces and they haven't uh, taken into account that um, you know the market's not equal right across the board. It's like in any market that operates, there are people that are genuinely trying to do the right thing and offer a reasonable service for a reasonable price, and then there are people that are just in it for a fast buck and, and will, will essentially take advantage of any vagueness or wiggle room that they find in the regulations to exploit it regardless of what the impact that that might have on on their actual customers and and I think that's where the gaps have opened up so that the, the field has expanded significantly um, as I've talked about before there's this enormous sort of demographic bump of baby boomers coming through into the aged care sector creating a huge amount of demand and and I think the government's been sort of scrambling to build up the, the industry to a size where it can meet that demand and that's I think that's what's opening up some of these issues. The Royal Commission of course rolls on and it will be continuing throughout most of this year. In the meantime we have a general election. What happens with the Royal Commission and where does it go while all this is happening? Well, my understanding is it will just keep rolling along regardless. It obviously operates quite separately from political processes. Um, I think what 
the election might influence is the degree to which the uh, recommendations that eventually come out of the Royal Commission are adopted. Um, so, um, you know, obviously industry is going to be lobbying fairly hard for things as much as possible to stay as they are. Um, I'm seeing regularly that they're lobbying very hard in the nursing home sector for more money. They're, they're trying to sort of pin this, um, these issues onto a lack of money, which, I mean, obviously we don't run nursing homes, so it's a little bit hard for us to comment from direct experience, but there does seem to be um, some quite significant cost-cutting, and then you do hear about these reports of the, the uh, parent companies of some of these nursing homes still managing to, to make, you know, multi-million dollar profits. So I don't know how how soundly that, that sort of argument rings true or not. Um, but nevertheless, when you hear some of the revelations coming out of the Royal Commission, you in this particular sector as well, in home care, must be a little bit worried and alarmed when some of your peers appear to be offering a substandard service as well. As a group, as an organisation, as a fraternity, you'd probably want a, a good reputation and uh, a good check as far as the Royal Commission is concerned. Yeah, look, definitely. We, we don't want to see cowboys coming in, and that's been one of the concerns that I think uh, people that have been in the industry for a long time have had with all of this um, opening up of and, and increasing choices. So as I said, you know, we think having the choices is great in terms of having a wider number of providers to choose from, um, but, but without this clear structure in place to make sure that people can't um, use a bit of sort of marketing smoke and mirrors to look as though they're offering something that they're not really offering um, without some protection. I think I think the government needs to recognise that the um, whilst I have we have a lot of respect for the overall you know intelligence and aptitude of our senior um, citizens. You know, in fact, that's one of the pleasures of this role. You often have uh, people show um, amazing abilities um, and uh, they have amazing histories. But I think at the time that when it comes along that people need a home care package, regardless of their background and education and previous, you know, senior roles they might have held, they're very, very vulnerable at that moment. You know, they're, they're often not well, things are changing at a rapid pace and not for the better. And there's a certain amount of pressure from the government about when a package is allocated. You've got a very short window of time in which you have to say yes or no and make a decision who you're going with. And I think all of that pressure, regardless of someone's age, can create a situation where they're just going to panic a little bit and grab the first thing that comes along that looks reasonable without doing that due diligence. And they're, they're assuming that because it's government funded, that the government's done a fair amount of due diligence. And I think that's what's coming to light, is that they've left far too much of this to, as I said, the industry itself and market forces. Well, hopefully the Royal Commission is going to sort all this out. There'll be some fantastic recommendations, and uh, you and the rest of the crew down here at Aftercare Australia will be um, squeaky clean at the end of it, Warren. <laughs> oh, I've got no doubt about that at all, Brendan. As I said, we're really comfortable with everything that's coming out because we can look at that and go, well, that doesn't apply to us, that doesn't apply to us. We're already dealing with that issue appropriately. We've already got lots of checks and balances in place. And I think there's quite a few in the industry that could say something similar. RPFM, you're tuned up to the Age Stage. Great to have your company, Warren Haynes. Thank you very much indeed. Warren, we'll probably see you back in the Bendigo Bank City in the not-too-distant future in a couple of weeks when you drop by and see us up there in Mornington. But um, thank you very much indeed for your hospitality down here today. Appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure having you, Brendan, and uh, I look forward to catching up again.